Parenting on Purpose, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. So my son, Wyatt, just turned one a few weeks ago. And if you know Korean tradition, you know that's a big deal. It's a big deal in Korean tradition when a child turns one because back in the day, right, back in the day in Korea, oftentimes children didn't make it to their first birthday. And so because of its significance, oftentimes when a child turns one, there will be a lavish, a huge, extravagant birthday party, right, sometimes equaling a wedding celebration. But with everything that's been going on with COVID, my wife Esther and I, we've been going back and forth whether we should have a party for Wyatt or not. But we decided to have a small gathering for him to celebrate his birthday because we didn't think it would be fair that his older brother, Weston, had this fairly large gathering while Wyatt wouldn't have anything. This is just one of the decisions that we have to deliberate through as parents living in a pandemic. The pandemic has forced us to make adjustments. But I think for my wife and I, the bigger adjustment was going from one child to having two. Right? It's changed the way that we parent. It's changed what is significant to us. When Weston was born, we wanted to be the perfect parents. We wanted to do everything by the book. We didn't let him have any screen time. My wife, Esther, she would cook these organic meals for him, take, spending hours and hours cooking for him. We would read to him constantly, and we bought toys that would stimulate his development. But with Wyatt, it doesn't matter so much to us if he has a little screen time or that he crawls around and finds food and eats it from the floor. Right? We, you know, this is my confession. We don't read to him very often, and his toys are simply just, just the things he finds on the ground. With Weston, we wanted to be perfect. But with Wyatt, we just want to survive. Right? Parenthood is hard. It is hard. It's a good day if he doesn't have a bump on his head. Being a parent is hard, and we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. But there is no such thing as perfect parenting. The purpose of parenting is not to produce perfect kids. No child is perfect. And I think for all of us, we have some level of idea of what we want our kids to be like. Or maybe it's the idea of what we hope that they would accomplish. But where does that idea come from? Is it God's dream for your child? Or are you just projecting your own dream on them? When Weston, before Weston was born, when Esther was pregnant with him, we used to pray for him, right, before he was born. And so one of my prayers was that he would be athletic, right? It's yet to be seen if God has answered that prayer. He's actually really clumsy and falls a lot. My hope is just that he's a bigger child, and so he's just trying to find his balance. But secretly, I prayed that he would be athletic because I was hoping that one day maybe he could make it into the NBA. Or at the very least, Maybe just get a D1 scholarship because I don't know how I'm going to pay for college. These are the things as a parent I think about. But this is my own selfish dream for him. This is not God's. As parents, we have a responsibility to our kids to nurture and to guide them. But the question is, what are we guiding them towards? What are we guiding our children towards? For the last few weeks, we've been on this sermon series called On Purpose. And so we've been looking at different topics about purpose, right? What is the purpose of money? 
What is the purpose of work? What is the purpose of the church? And today, on our final day of the sermon series, we're going to be talking about what is the purpose of parenting? What is the purpose of parenting? And we find it in God's word. So if you have your Bible with with you, turn with me to Psalm 78. We're going to read Psalm 78, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Verse 1. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then... They would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. This psalm was written by Asaph. He was a musician during David and Solomon's time. And in this psalm, he's telling his listeners why it's so important to teach the next generation of what God has done and who God is. He begins by first getting their attention, and then he talks about passing down the things that have been taught to them. There's this pattern of being taught by the previous generation. And what is being passed down is twofold. First, it is talking about the glorious deeds of God. They are telling the next generation of their experience, the way that God intervened in their lives through the miraculous and the ordinary. And the second thing they are imparting to the next generation is God's word. The decree and statutes in Jacob and appointed law in Israel is a reference to God's word. The psalmist says that these two things, God's word and God's deeds need to be passed on to the next generation. But why? Why is it so important that the next generation be taught these things? And he tells us the answer in verse 7. This is the key verse for everything that comes before it and everything that follows after. In verse 7, we are told, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And I like the NRSV translation a little bit better. It says, so that they should put their hope in God, right? So that they would put their hope in God. The purpose of parenting is to raise your children to put their hope in God. That is the purpose of parenting. That means we need to raise our children to have a vibrant faith of their own. A faith where they will remember what God has done, how he is faithful, and lead to obeying him, which would lead to obeying him. Right? The responsibility first falls on us as parents. It should be our desire that our children would experience the goodness and faithfulness of God and choose to put their trust and faith in him. But I think oftentimes we blend faith in God with behavior. Right? So much of our parenting deals with behavior and managing our kids' behavior. 
And when the focus is on how they act or behave, we aren't living into our parental purpose because we are just having them act a certain way without leading their hearts to God. We just want them to behave a certain way without actually leading their hearts to God. This is why we get so stressed out when our kids are running around church being loud. This is why sometimes a baby cry, uh, crying baby in service gets stares. But isn't Jesus the one who said, let the little ones come to me? A little disruption is okay. What's most important is that this next generation of young people would come to know Jesus and give their hearts to him. And this sermon is not just for parents. This is a sermon for all of us, whether we have children or not. It's for the young, it's for the old, it's for the married, it's for the singles. It does not matter whether you have children or not, because in the family of God, God's called us to be spiritual aunts and uncles. So if you don't have children of your own, please don't check out and say that this sermon isn't for you. You have a part in, to play in helping to raise the next generation of Jesus lovers. If we want this next generation to put their hope in God, we need to stop focusing on behavior and start focusing on putting our children in the path of God. We need to create environments where our kids come face to face with Jesus. And I'm not talking about or advocating that we just drop off our kids in the children's programs or have more church events, right? There is a place for that. But what I'm talking about is prioritizing faith and creating opportunities and sacred spaces where our kids would come to know and come to face to face with Jesus. It's to put them on a collision course with God where they can experience God's goodness, faithfulness, and love for themselves. So what does it look like to put our children in the path of God? What is parent-driven or what is purpose-driven parenting, right? What does that look like? Well, the first thing is we need to prepare our children rather than protecting them for reality. We need to prepare our children rather than protect them. It's natural for us want to want to protect our kids. It's instinctive. It's not like we are told or taught that. The moment we become parents is the moment that we become these mama bears and papa bears wanting to do anything and everything to make sure that our kids do not get hurt. There's nothing wrong with protecting your child. But how many times have we allowed protecting our kids get in the way of, of preparing them? Preparing them from the struggles of life. Preparing them from the challenges and the hardships. Life is not easy. There is sin in the world, and because of sin, we will face hardship and suffering. And yet we fail to prepare our kids for that reality. Sometimes we have to just let them fail and fall on their own. Because in doing so, we are preparing them for a time when we won't be there. At some point, we have to let our kids go and allow them to be adults and the hope is that when they are adults, they will choose the right things, that they will be prepared for every situation that they face. And what better way to prepare them than to teach them that ultimately God is their protector and comforter. Yes. 
When we allow our kids to experience discomfort and hardship, we are creating space for God to work. And as they face challenges and disappointments, they will learn to depend on God. We are allowing the world to break our kids down so that God could build them back up. We set up our kids to fail as adults and Christ followers if the only thing that we do is to protect them because we aren't teaching them how to deal with their failures, their struggles, the things that make life so hard. We will all face hardship and suffering in life. That's a guarantee. But we can be encouraged because oftentimes it's through those difficult moments that God really wants to grow us. Look what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We are to face trials and hardship with joy, not because we like suffering, not because we like pain, but because it's through those difficult moments that God grows us. And it's the same for our kids. No one wants to see their child hurting. But the alternative of not allowing them to face hardship is to actually stunt their growth. How does a baby learn to walk? by trying to take some steps and falling, right? Part of a baby learning to walk is by failing, right? They're practicing getting their balance. They're working on their balance, but also they're learning that it's not so scary to fall, that they'll be okay. Or for our teenagers, I heard that now that sometimes classes have been on Zoom, right? Parents have found ways to help their kids cheat because it's so much easier. They're taking tests on Zoom. But what are parents teaching their kids? that it's okay to do anything, to lie and cheat, to get ahead in life? And I understand, right? Maybe a good grade will help you get into a better school later on. But is it worth it? You may be robbing your kids from learning from their mistakes and the choices that they make. If all we focused on is protecting our kids, then we're being short-sighted. We are forgetting what the goal of parenting is, which is to help raise our children to put their hope in God. And that can only happen when we are pushing them out of their comfort zones and teaching them that they can depend on God. When we look at the disciples, how many times did Jesus push them into uncomfortable situations to help them grow in their faith? Right? There was that time where he tells his disciples to get into a boat and to go to the other side only to face a storm. But God was with them through that storm. Jesus was with them. And because of that, their faith grew. Or what about that time where he sends the 12 disciples off to do ministry and he leaves them with this, these words. I am sending you like sheep among wolves. Those aren't comforting words. Following Jesus leads to suffering and discomfort many times, but are we preparing our kids for that reality? What happens when things don't go their way? What happens when they face struggle? Is that going to be the breaking point in their faith? Or will it be the catalyst to grow their faith? Parenting with purpose is preparing our kids for the reality of a sinful world where they will face struggles, hardship, and discomfort. 
But the good news is that they are not alone. That Jesus promises to be their comforter and protector. As parents, we need to prepare our kids for that by giving them opportunities where they can know and understand that Jesus will always be with them. That's what it means to parent with purpose. And the second way that we parent with purpose is by breaking down the barrier between the sacred and the secular. By breaking down the barrier between the sacred and the secular. If we look at our lives, I think for most of us, we live between this uh, sacred and secular. And it's pretty easy to define, right? Anything that is church or church-related, whether we come to church or maybe it's Wednesday at the well, Friday morning prayer, or maybe it's reading the Bible or praying, these are sacred things, right? Anything else we just assume is secular. But if that's how we view the time in our day, then what we're saying is that being a Christian is just a part-time gig. By compartmentalizing our life and faith, what we're teaching our kids is that it's sometimes we are Christian and there's sometimes where we're not. It's as if we could flip a switch on our faith. But faith is not based on where we are. It's not about the setting as if our workplace or our home or church should dictate how we should live. Your faith is about a relationship. Because of your relationship with Jesus, every moment is a holy moment. How we speak to our kids, how we show grace to other drivers on the road, how we deal with conflict. These are all things that are expression of our faith. How we respond to these things is all about our identity in Christ. And God speaks of this breaking down of the barrier in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 11, verses 18, it says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And I love this description of what it means to teach our kids. The passing down of God's word doesn't just happen when we're at church or in a classroom setting. It is supposed to happen all the time. In this, in this verse, it says that we are to teach our kids when we sit down, when we get up, when we're walking, when we lie down. They are to be put on the door frames and gates of our homes so that our kids can see them. When we break down the barrier between the sacred and secular, every moment becomes a teaching moment. Your kids don't only experience God when they're reading the Bible or at church, but they experience God from you in your daily interactions with them. They experience God's love when you smother them with hugs and kisses. They experience God's grace when you don't yell at them or get angry at them when they spill their drink for the 10th time, even after telling them not to. And I'm not saying that as parents you shouldn't express anger. It's okay to express anger. It's okay to be angry at times. Jesus was angry at times. But there is a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger seeks restoration. Unrighteous anger seeks destruction. 
So when we get angry at our kids, are we getting angry because we're frustrated, exhausted, or tired, and we just want them to feel pain because of what they've done because they've annoyed us? Or is it because we want to restore them? We see that they're not fulfilling the potential that God has for them, and we want them to do what is right out of their love for God. This week, Esther and I had to throw down some righteous anger on our son, Weston. My son, Weston, he's my older one. He loves, he, he loves staying up at night. He does not like to sleep. He has deep FOMO. So he feels like he's going to miss out on something if he, if he goes to sleep. And so he's always trying to figure out ways to push back his bedtime. And this week, he came up with a new one. So we got him ready for bed. And we, usually, and we have this ritual. We'll, have, we'll brush his teeth. We'll read him some books. We'll sing him, Jesus, I love, uh, Jesus loves me. And so we're about to put him down into his crib when he says, I have to go poo-poo. And so we're just like, oh, my goodness. Like, we did everything. We got you ready for bed. We went through the routine. And now you're telling us you have to go to the bathroom? And so, of course, you know, just in case, we bring him to the bathroom. And usually when he's in the bathroom, we'll hear him push. We'll hear him trying to go to the bathroom. But this time we didn't hear anything. So after about 10 minutes, we go in there and to, just to check up on him, and there's nothing. And so we're like, all right, you know, maybe he just needs more time. So we go back out, 10 minutes more pass, and then we go back in and we check on him again. Still nothing. And so we know that he doesn't really need to go to the bathroom. And so we start to question him on it. So we ask him, did you lie to us? Did you just tell us that you had to go to the bathroom so you could stay up at night? And his response was, no. But we're skeptical because it's been 20 minutes and nothing, not even a push. And so we keep pressing him on it and we keep asking him. And it wasn't until the 11th time that we asked where he says yes and he confesses to it. And so at this point, we're angry. And so in our righteous anger, we tell him that for every lie that you spoke, you're going to have to throw away a toy. And you need to choose that toy. And so he, at this point, he, like, tears are streaming down his, his uh, face. And he's going through his toys, trying to, avoid, trying to like, uh, just procrastinate, thinking that we'll let him go. But, you know, as parents, you have to follow through on what you say. Otherwise, they won't believe you the next time. And so we just keep on. And we're like, choose your 10. If you don't choose 10, we're going to choose it for you. And we're going to choose the ones that you love the most. And so he reluctantly, with tears in his eyes, he's like choosing the 10 and he throws them into the garbage. And after some time, we just started comforting him. We got him to stop crying. And we talked to him about why it's so bad to lie. And then we reminded him that no matter what he says or does, that we're always going to love him. At that moment, he says, Mommy, Daddy, I'm sorry. And he gives us a big hug. For us, it was a holy moment, a breaking of the barrier between the sacred and the secular, where we were able to experience God's presence as a family in an ordinary moment. Even the small and simple acts, like disciplining a child, can have a powerful impact. If we want our kids to put their hope in God, we have to create opportunities throughout the day for them to experience the mighty and powerful God. Church is important. And I think we're really blessed here at Metro because we have an excellent children's program. But if we're not connecting what they're learning on Sunday throughout the week, all we're doing is teaching them that being a Christian is a Sunday event. 
In order for our kids to put their hope in God, we have to break down this barrier between sacred and secular. We have to prepare them for the challenges of the world. And lastly, we have to model a dynamic faith. We have to model a dynamic faith. Kids love to mimic and copy. My son, Weston, he's at the stage where he loves copying people. He thinks it's so funny. Like he'll copy you and just laugh to himself. For me, I find it really annoying. So anytime he starts copying me, I'm like, I'll say, my name is Weston. And he says, my name is Weston. He repeats after me. And then I'll say something along the lines of, and I don't want any more chocolate. And of course, he's smart enough not to repeat it. Instead, he'll be like, hey, why you do that? And I'm just like, oh, you keep copying me. It breaks the pattern of him copying me. But what I do have to be careful of is what I say and do in front of him because I know that he's listening and watching me. We would like for our kids to do as we say, but our kids rather do as we do. Right? Let me say that again. We would like for our kids to do as we say, but our kids rather do as we do. So what are you modeling to your children? Do they see Jesus by the way that you live or are you pointing them towards something else? Don't be surprised if your kids do not prioritize faith if you're not prioritizing faith in your own life. Parents, you have the biggest impact on whether your child, your children experience God or not. I've talked to so many people who have struggled to see God as a loving father because they either had absent fathers or a father who didn't show them love. They couldn't imagine that there is a God in heaven who loves them because that's not what they experienced from their earthly fathers. Your kids will learn from you whether you like it or not. They are listening and watching every move that you make. And this does not mean that you have to be perfect. I hope that what you get out of this is not that you, are, you have to be perfect because I don't want to put more pressure on you as parents. You already live with so much. Modeling for your kids does not mean that you have to be perfect because the whole gospel is all about we are imperfect people in need of a savior. That's what the gospel is. We are imperfect people in need of a savior. So it's okay to mess up. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to fail because on one hand, yes, we embody Christ to our kids. But on the other hand, we acknowledge that we are not Jesus but we want to be like him. That's what it means to have dynamic faith. We are not Christians because we are holy or perfect, but it's because we depend on God who is holy and perfect. Even in our weakness, we can point our kids to Jesus. And I think one of the best ways where we can model faith for our kids is to share our prayer requests with them. Ask your kids to pray for you. They need to see that mom and dad don't have it all together but that we can go to a God at any moment. This is the kind of faith that we should all desire to pass on to our kids and the future generations. As parents, what we want is the very best for our kids. Oftentimes, we want the, our kids to have the things that we didn't have growing up. We want them to surpass us in every way. We want them to be more successful than us. But the one area where you can be selfish as a parent is in your faith. 
The hope isn't that your kids have a more dynamic or vibrant faith than you. The hope is that you would pass on your vibrant faith to them. Be selfish when it comes to your faith. Our kids, they will know authenticity. They know authenticity. They know when we're being fake. If they don't see mom and dad loving God, then they're going to question whether God is worth following. The best thing that you can do for your child's spiritual walk is to model what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Modeling is so important because it's so easy to teach the right things but not do the right thing. And that's what the psalmist speaks of in verse 8 of the passage we read today. In verse 8 it says, And that they should not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The previous generation was teaching all the right things. They were teaching their kids of the sovereignty of God and how God had intervened in their lives, especially with the exodus. But they didn't live out their own teachings. And the psalmist rebukes the parents, telling them that they are a wicked and rebellious and stubborn generation, unfaithful to God. If you want your kids to have a dynamic faith where they put their hope in God, you have to model it for them. Your children will follow your lead. The point, the purpose of parenting is to raise our children to put their hope in God. That's our mission. That's what God wants from us. And sometimes that's really hard, but we can depend on God to help us with that. Years ago, uh, on one of our staff retreats, every year we have a staff retreat, and it's amazing, right? Sometimes, oftentimes it's like the highlight of our year as a staff. But years ago, Pastor Peter made us do this exercise where we had to take on the perspective of somebody that we've uh, disappointed and talk about that disappointment. It was one of the best, but also one of the worst exercises that Pastor Peter has ever come up with. Right? It was one of the best because there was such a level of transparency and vulnerability, and it made us really look at our disappointments and failures. But it was one of the worst because it was so emotional and so hard to get in the mind of somebody that we love and talk about our disappointments. And so when it became my turn to share, I didn't know who I was going to share about, but then God led me to share from the perspective of my grandmother. And to be honest, I have no idea what I talked about. Right? All I remember is what I felt. And all I remember was crying. And I don't, I'm not talking about just like a tear here or there. I was like full out crying. And for those who are watching the staff, they were shocked. I was shocked because I'm not a crier. Right? We have people on our staff. I won't name them. But they are on this side. They cry a lot. Right? We know to keep the tissues next to them. And then I'm on the other side. Probably myself and Pastor Ansi, we're on this side. We don't cry. Right? My wife calls me a robot sometimes. But I remember crying. And I don't rem at that moment, I didn't realize why I was so emotional. But it was as I was working on the sermon this week, I finally clicked. I finally realized why that was so hard for me. And the reason why is because growing up, my parents weren't always there for me. My dad lived apart from us after the divorce, and my mom was always working, trying to provide for our family. And so it was really my grandmother who really took on that parent role for me. 
she was the one who also had the greatest impact on my faith. She was the one teaching me and leading me towards Jesus every single day. It was her that I spent most of my time with. It was her who was breaking down the barrier between the secular and the sacred by just the way she loved and cared for me. She would be there to wait, for me, wait with me at the bus stop for when I went to school. And she was also there to wait with me, wait for when I came back. She was the one who taught me my multiplication tables and showed me grace every time I made a mistake. She didn't get angry at me. She showed patience. But she was also the one who reminded me that I will not be defined by my parents' divorce. That even though my parents may be divorced, that both my mom and dad still love me. But it wasn't just about what she did for me and how she showered love upon me, right? She wasn't just loving. She was also really hard on me and challenged me. She would push me out of my comfort zone. There was a time in my life where I hated church, and I feel a little guilty saying that as a pastor. But there was a time when I was a teenager where I hated church. I was really quiet and introverted, and it was really hard for me to connect with others, so I didn't really have too many friends, especially in the beginning of my youth group years. And I wanted to quit. I didn't want to go to church. I fought her tooth and nail not to go, but she didn't let me quit. Even against my wishes, she forced me to go because she knew that my faith was too important, and to not go was to take away the opportunities for me to meet God, to see Jesus face to face. It's because of my grandmother, what she did for me, how she loved and cared for me, even challenged me that I can say I have faith today. But it's not just about what she did. It's also how she lived. Every single morning, she modeled to me what dynamic faith was. Every morning I would wake up and I would see her reading her Bible and I would see her praying fervently. She was the one who brought me to church every single Sunday and taught me what it meant to serve. Every Sunday, we would go to church early before anyone else got there and fold hundreds of bulletins to be passed out for worship service. I am who I am today in a large part because of my grandmother. And yes, I've had so many great people invest in me and help me in my spiritual journey. I've had great pastors, mentors, and even Sunday school teachers. But it was my grandmother who was putting me in the path of God every single day. Parents, you have a responsibility to your children. The purpose of parenting isn't just to make sure that they get a good education and become successful. The purpose of parenting is to raise your child to put their hope in God. Our hope is that they would know Jesus and be known by him. Your mission today is to put your children in the path of God by breaking down the barrier between the sacred and the secular, by preparing them and not just protecting them, but also modeling what dynamic faith is so that they can also have a dynamic faith. We don't have to be perfect as parents. Right? All God is calling us to is to point our children to the one who is perfect, and that's our heavenly father. Parents, and even people who don't have kids, God is calling us to raise the future generation. It's too important of a task not to do. What God desires for us is to train them, to lead them, and for them to take over. 
our job is to raise them, to mentor them, to, uh, to invest in them so that one day they would have a faith of their own. Can we do that as a church? Can we come together alongside our parents to do that so that our kids would know Jesus and be known by him? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this time just to be able to read your word together, to dig deeper into, God, the very words that you have for us as parents, but not just parents, God, as a church, as a family, because we know for all of us, God, we have a, play, a part to play in your kingdom. For the last few weeks, God, we've been talking about purpose. And it all goes back to, God, building your kingdom it's all about, God, people knowing you, loving you, and being in relationship with you. And so, God, my prayer is for those who might be parents or who may be looking and hoping to be parents in the future, that you would help us to focus on what's important. Oftentimes, God, we can get distracted by the world and distracted by what we feel like they, our kids need instead of just depending on you and seeing what you are telling us through your word. And that is, God, we are to raise this next generation to love you, to be devoted to you, to be people, God, who fall deeply in love with you. And so, God, right now, I pray, God, that you would just minister to our hearts. I pray, God, that for some who need to be challenged, may this be a challenge to them to reprioritize, God, how they parent their children. And being a parent isn't easy, God. It's hard. But the good news is, God, that we can depend on you. We can trust in you. We can learn from you. We can be led by you. That you're going to help us with this. And for those guys who need encouragement right now, I pray, Father, that they would find encouragement in knowing that you are present, that you are with them, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, God. So my prayer, God, is that everything that we do as your children, as your sons and daughters, would be expression of our faith. That we would seek you at every moment. That we would make every moment a holy moment. Because our relationship with you is not based on where we are or what we're doing. Our relationship with you is based on what you have done on the cross for us. And because of the cross, God, we are your sons and daughters. So thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the way that you challenge us. Thank you for the way that you encourage us. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives, even right now in this moment. May we be sensitive to your spirit. May our ears be open to hear, God, how you are speaking right now. I pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.